Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on 5x5. Bandwidth for June has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5, and they really are the best. Check them out at cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E, fly, and let them know you heard about them on 5x5. My guest this week is Fletcher Penny, the creator of Multi-Markdown, kind of a godfather of text uh, manipulation, editing, programming, nerd. He's a nerd. Hi, Fletcher. Hey, Brett. How are you doing? I'm good. You are are you uh you okay with being called nerd? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, you might as well might Bad- as well embrace it, right? Badge of honor. That's right. So this podcast is probably going to get nerdy. And I'm not gonna do anything about that. This is uh this is a nerd cast. This is full on nerd on. Sounds like fun. I think that may have had sexual overtones that I didn't intend. Well, let's not do that then. <laughs> All right. Back to PG. It's a it's a nerd fest. Um, so you've been working a lot on uh, multi markdown four point Yeah, actually, just went up to four point one. Wow, actually four point one one. But yeah, ooh, incremental version bumps. Yeah. Um, what's uh, what's the big uh, what's the big uh, impetus behind a new version? The <clears throat> the main thing for four actually came about because of Multi-Markdown Composer, and I was using uh, Multi-Markdown inside of it to both handle the syntax highlighting in, in, a, in a sense in the last version, and then, but also to handle the live previews, and was just having a lot of issues because um, it just wasn't designed with that in mind when, it, when I created it. Um, so I was having problems with memory leaks and with um, the original... Multi markdown was based off of peg markdown. Um, See, it's already super nerdy. Yeah, and <laughs> so it's it's you know it's the whole family tree of of markdown, and and that was just never designed to be run as a library that stayed uh, stayed active multiple you know, for multiple parses, and so that was just causing a lot of problems with composer that I had to go through all these backflips to try to avoid, and it just wasn't working, and memory leaks were. A problem for some people, um, so th- that's what led me to rewrite it for version four. So basically, version four, I started almost from scratch and kept. If you want to get really nerdy, um, so I kept the peg, the parsing expression grammar um, that came from Peg Markdown, that was fantastic, and you know I didn't want to change that, so I. I, I kept that, but basically rewrote everything else. I rewrote all the C code and um, made sure that there were no memory leaks and also used Greg as the, I don't know what you call it, the parser builder uh, instead of peg leg. And so everything is designed to be reentrant and thread safe so you can run it multiple times simultaneously without the threads crashing into each other. Which would happen in in the versions built with Peg, wow. Peg Leg. This just uh, this is it's so nerdy that I I'm going back on my word. Oh, we have to like scale it down a little bit. Nobody, yeah. nobody, even I don't know what Greg is. Yeah, I can you know I, I have a, a general idea, but um, but yeah, we'll, we'll tone it back a little bit for for our listeners. Yeah. Wow, so, you stepped over the line, Fletcher. Step over yeah, the nerd I, line. You laid down the gauntlet, so <laughs> I had to pick it up. Um, but well, the short version is it's it's basically it's it's better all around, and um, and it helped me make multi markdown composer better. So so you're developing uh, open source software as part of a commercial application, but still sharing the root uh, kind of code there. That's interesting. Yeah, it, well, everything started as, for me, for, um, for the programming stuff was all open source. Um, I actually created, this is going way back, um, so back in like 2003, maybe, created a, a backup program that I put out there to try to sell as shareware that I don't think I sold any copies of, um, and got involved instead in some of the open source stuff, and that's clearly done a lot better. Um, what? What license do you have multi markdown on? 
So multi-markdown is under either MIT or um, GPL. GPL. And because yeah. that was how PEG Markdown was licensed. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I was just wondering if within the confines of your license, you were allowed to grant yourself um, unlimited usage as the author. It doesn't matter, right? Well, so, yeah, for any, the whole usual I am not a lawyer disclaimer, but from my understanding is if you are the original. I'm not a lawyer. I'm a doctor. That's it's right. It's funny because you are a doctor. That's true. I'm sorry. Um, but. My understanding is if I was the original author of the whole thing, then even if I licensed it GPL, I could still use it as whatever I wanted. So I could create a commercial product, but other people would have to have a separate license from me. But since it's built off of um, Peg Markdown, and plus I wanted Multi Markdown's always been open source, and um, so I kept that licensing for it. But but part of it is that you can then use it in and commercial products. So um, basically about a year, well, almost two years ago now, um, decided to create a text editor that kind of did what I wanted it to do because uh, nothing else out there could was capable of doing what I needed it, even you know, despite however much I tried to hack uh, TextMate. I just couldn't make it <laughs> what I wanted. You actually uh, you started hacking NVL too. Yeah. That was that was nice. We never We never anything out because there was kind of a private engine in it but that was cool yeah um maybe we'll have to come back to that idea at some point but yeah basically the idea was to put the text editing engine from composer inside of nv alt and it was pretty handy we we're not going to come back to that i want to get away from nv alt um how come it's a great it's a great app i use it constantly okay but the code base is kind of ancient in terms yeah. of os 10 and it's, I don't I don't see myself wanting to put enough effort into modernizing the code base uh, without getting paid. Yeah. So I really I need to instead of directing my efforts toward continuing uh, a crippled application, start developing something that's commercially viable and uh, and kind of fills the the void for it. Commercial yeah. viability. It's my new word. Well, you know. You do have to find some way to pay the bills and put a roof over your head. Yeah. Yeah. Roofs are motivating. Yes. <laughs> we both but, have day jobs and we both do this on the side pretty much. So I think we understand that there has to be some uh, remuneration, but it's not the primary goal. If it were the primary goal, we'd quit our jobs. Like we both have, we have kind of a labor of love thing going on, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and for me, it's interesting because, you know, and you have the same thing with, you know, I've got the open source side, which is free, and then the separate product, which is obviously built around it, but that, you know, multi-markdown composer that's from the get-go has has been commercial. Um, and, and it's interesting kind of having the two hats, you know, when I get either support requests or just the way I think about it. Um, there's some things I like about the open source side. You know, you're free to say that's not what I want to do, and because it's not what I want to do, I'm not going to do it. When, when you're expecting people to give you money for something, then you know you, you need to make sure that it's what they want. You can still say I'm not going to do that, but you don't say it out loud. You say um, thanks. I will add that to the list for consideration. Yeah. So everyone who's ever gotten an email from me that said that, now you know. <laughs> now you that's know. That's the that's the dirty secret, huh? Yeah. I'm pretty I'm pretty blatant about it with the open source stuff. Like you said, I I'm happy to say no, that's not on the roadmap. But I am more polite when it comes to marked. It's it's funny that's um actually I have had some email discussions with with people over my support uh site and I was telling telling one of the person one of the people who wrote me recently is you know, saying no is one of the hardest things for me to do because you've got somebody who likes what you do and they use it and then they they have a way that they think will make it better and it's trying to figure out whether it will make it better for them or if it will make it better for everybody. And right, exactly. Generalizing because everyone's feature requests are, you know, pivoted on their own uh, personal workflows and it can get really um, uh, too specific 
to be of use to anybody else and, and not worth the developer's time. But if you can generalize a person's problem to something that affects, you know, 51% of your users, then it starts being worthwhile to consider it at least. But yeah, yeah, there's a process. And and I think that's one of the, the great things about Markdown, you know, when John Kruber created it was, it was simple. And I think that simplicity is, is its key strength. Um, you know, and then there were a few people like me who felt like it was just ever so barely too simple. And, you know, I wanted footnotes or tables or whatever. Um, and a few other people have had the same thoughts, but, but it, I definitely don't want it to become, you know, something so complex that somebody else is prompted to say, okay, you know, multi-markdown is great, but now we need to come up with multi-markdown light. You know, if, if that happens, I <laughs> Well, what I like about and, and for everyone listening, I'm going to back up after the first sponsor break and we're going to actually talk about what Markdown is so we don't lose everybody. Um, we did this whole show in reverse order. So edit it in your head. Um, but I like what I like about multi Markdown and what I've liked from the beginning is that reading all the way back to, you know, like six years where the forums and stuff, it's you really considered every edition. It wasn't just, hey, Markdown's cool. Let's make it cooler. Like you, you thought about the syntax, you thought about formatting, you thought about, is this true to the original vision of Markdown? And whether everyone agrees with you or not, you put a lot of thought into that. And I, I, that's why I chose multi-Markdown as my primary renderer. Yeah. I mean that, like you said, not everybody agrees with every specific choice and that's totally fine, but that's been very that's been very important to me um and because i think the worst thing that could happen is for it to become too complicated or too many little features that you can never remember what they're supposed to do um and there even at one point there was a couple little things i'd added that i even had trouble remembering and was like okay i need to back off of this yeah yeah I, <laughs> that's my life <laughs> I write scripts every day and they're running in the background and I forget what does what. I have so many key bindings on my computer. I have to have cheat sheets to remember them. It's crazy. Yeah, that's that's a sure sign that uh that you've you've done something flippant. Something too too manic, too spur of the moment when you can't even remember how or what or even that it's there. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you go back to write something because you're like, hey, it would be great if it did this. And you find out, oh, yeah, it already does. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what NBL, like I said, use it constantly because I track all that stuff. In addition to all my automated logging, I, I, everything I do, I have to make a note so that I can grab it later and figure out, oh, did I already solve that? Yeah. Ah, oh, it's I have the weirdest head. Like I am so jealous of people, even even you to some extent, who can just sit down and really study and really I just I'm so manic. I don't know. Drives me nuts. I want to be able to read a book. It's it's definitely I've I've noticed things like that change over time. Like back in high school and college, when it was time for a test, I could sit down, I could study for you know, hours, you know, days if I needed to, and I can't do that anymore. Oh yeah. I used to be a voracious reader. I used to be able to sit through French art films. I used to be able to do all that stuff. And that has definitely, I don't know why, uh, I should have Howard, uh, back on the show to talk about my brain again. But anyway, that's a um, scary topic <laughs> for all of us. All right. Well, I'm going to do the first sponsor read for everyone who hasn't uh, given up because they have no idea what's going on. Um, and then we're going to back up and talk about what this is we're talking about. Sounds good. Our first sponsor today is Hubber.com Simplified Domain Management. You've probably registered a domain with a company that just wants to sell you services you're not interested in when all you want is a simple .com or a CO or TV. Uh, you can also get .nets there, which is really the one alternative to .com that's become universally accepted, maybe even just cooler than .com. Um, Hover makes it really easy. You just enter the domain name you're interested in into their search box, and Hover will tell you if it's available. If not, it comes up with some suggestions. You can also just type in a few keywords, and Hover, Hover will figure out some available domains using those terms for you, like a magical robot. 
I'm stuttering. I never stutter. Uh, um, well, no, I should. I haven't stuttered since the first three episodes. I've been much better. Anyway, they have real human beings available for support, and their number is right on the front page of their website. If you have any problems, just pick up the phone and call. They have a no-hold policy. Somebody just answers the phone. Seamless transfers from other providers, elegant DNS management, email hosting, and more. And if you use the code DANSENTME or visit Hubbard.com slash DANSENTME, you'll get 10% off of everything you buy from Hubbard.com. TTScoff.com is live. It's uh, it's an intro Rails page right now, but I I was going through old domains and realized I own TTScoff.com, and I figured I, should, I threw it up on DigitalOcean. Anyway, um, are you still there? I am still here. I was trying to figure out if that was part of the, uh, the sponsor it break or if that was separate. <laughs> no, you, you're welcome to interrupt sponsor breaks too. I, I, I may, you know, yell at you, but you're welcome to. Yeah, it, totally unprovoked. But I switched everything over to Hover uh, I think six six months ago, and it's been great. Every guest I think I've had has recently done that. I have that conversation frequently. Yeah, it's uh, it's easy and fast, and it's a good idea. Um, yeah, and when you want something easy and you sort of know what you're doing, you don't want all the stuff that gets in your way. Exactly. Yes. Well, even kind of, if you don't know what you're doing, it's a daunting task. Like even for people who don't know what they're doing, it's equally uh, inviting. Yeah. 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 Um, so let's – how about in your words, uh, quick description of what Markdown is is and what it represents. Uh, so if you markdown is a both the syntax and, and a program, but basically it's a way of taking plain text that any human could write and pretty much anybody who writes emails does something that's similar to how how it works back before everybody sent rich email. Um, but it's a way of adding formatting and you know, bold and italics or lists, um, and it can then convert that plain text into other into HTML uh, for a web page. And it was just it was when I first saw it and read about it, it was fantastic. And that was kind of back when everybody and their brother was creating a blog, and um, I was using Blossom at the time, and it was just fantastic for being able to quickly write a pay, you know, an article or a couple of paragraphs and have it formatted automatically. Uh, you, you said when everybody and their brother was making blogs as if that's not still going on. Well, it was a little bit different, you know, <laughs> back in the day, but yeah, it's, I don't, you know, it'd be it, interesting. It, to see it was more novel back then. Yeah. Um, okay. So then you, you were fascinated by that. It kind of, it kind of evolved from, like, didn't textile exist first? Wasn't Markdown kind of a response to textile? I I think it was textile that was there. I know, and, the, and they were both responses to Usenet formatting. I get, yeah, I guess so. See, I just figured I'd make this a little nerdier, but I'm probably getting my history messed up. Um, but yeah, so you developed then an application on top of it, a superset, if you will, called Multi Markdown, and I believe. When you started, yours was a Perl script, just like the original, like John Gruber version. Right. Yeah. So the first version of it was basically just a modified version of Markdown.pl, so the Perl script that the Gruber created, and so it used the same regular expression structure and just added a few things in to say, okay, let's add footnotes and tables, and and it grew from there, um, and then. Later, I had to switch to other formats for various reasons. Um, but yeah, it started out as just a Perl script. And uh, for obvious reasons, you eventually found that a compiled script could be faster and more accurate. Yeah, so it, it was funny because... Um, did I say compiled script? You did. That's but, a weird thing to say. Compiled yeah. application. It was. There were some documents that you could run through the original multi-markdown and presumably even markdown and it, it would take 30 seconds for it to finish processing it, which obviously gets a little slow. Um, and then around that time I found um, John McFarlane had created peg markdown, 
which was in C. Um, and it was basically in, in the, with, it had a few other options, but essentially it was kind of a feature match for the markdown.perl script. Um, and then I built off of that to create multi-markdown version three. Um, and so that was done in, in C and was for some documents, I mean, thousands of times faster. Um, you know, instead of a 30 second time, it would take, you know, 300 milliseconds, which I guess is not really a thousand times faster, but anyways. Um, <laughs> oh man, math. Yeah. Math is hard. Let's go shopping. Um, <laughs> so, so that brings us to, uh, kind of today, except for you weren't alone in your mission, um, uh, due to everyone having their own needs and desires and preferred languages. Now we have sundown and Cramdown and Maruku and discount red carpet, um, uh, PHP markdown extra Python markdown two. It's kind of gotten out of hand. Yeah, there's a lot. And, and everyone has made some attempt to keep similarity or, or at least backwards compatibility but everyone's adding different new features. And one thing that if you, if you really like a feature that one processor added, you're then married to that processor and its platform uh, for the rest of time, because all of your old documents will require it with all the extra syntax you put in. So I find myself like tables and footnotes are widely supported across all of these processors. And they're also really easy to parse out with a script if I ever yeah. needed to. Um, so those are the two that I'll use, but I rarely, at least in doc, on non-blog documents, I use uh, Cramdown syntax on my blog uh, because it allows me to add like a line right and a line left and and multiple attributes to my images, which multi-markdown can do now. But um, can, can multi-markdown do classes? Can you add classes? No. Okay, good. Then I'm not I'm not unjustified in my decision. But so what do you see being the next step? Do you see a convergence? Do you see a diaspora? Like where does this whole idea of kind of uh super plain text go? I I'm not 100% sure. I think that it's it's funny when you if you read the uh the general markdown discussion list every 6 months a year somebody writes in and says, hey, I've got this great idea. Why don't we have all these different variants converge and we'll come up with you know, the one true da, da, da. successor to Markdown. Um, and it's, it kind of goes the same way every time, which is you know, a lot of people saying, hey, yeah, that would be great. But um, very, there's been very little response from the developers of all these programs. And I think part of it is related to how it all evolved, which like you said, was it's basically a lot of people scratching their own itch and, you know, Markdown was great, but I wanted it to do footnotes, which was one of those things that Gruber had even mentioned and he even kind of proposed a syntax or one was sort of proposed in his name, but it was never added, um, in tables. And then I also wanted to be able to look into, to LaTeX for some other stuff. And so I did what I needed and other people, wanted other things. And so they, they each went their own little route. And so then you come along and say, okay, well, to be pessimistic about it. All right. So, you know, somebody wants me to go and spend a lot of time and effort rewriting everything that I've spent the last, however many, eight years doing to fit with what somebody else has spent X number of years doing. And, and I won't necessarily gain anything from that in return. Um, And I think, you know, multiply that times the however many developers there are that would sort of need to be involved, and you know, at least a core group of a few. And it's, I think it's kind of like herding cats a little bit. Um, and, and so I think I think if we can come up with the the use case that would justify all that is when it would potentially happen. I don't know. I've I've talked to a couple of the other developers, and it kind of boils back down to you know, how much effort will this take? And, you know, that's time I could spend doing something else. I think that once, 
I think a new standard will eventually arise as as things get farther and farther apart. But I also think that that some of these syntaxes will just fork off completely and not be marked down anymore, not call themselves marked down. Yeah. Um, and then we'll have like warring factions. It'll be like uh, uh, religious warfare in centuries past. We can have our, our own version of the Holy War. Yes. The Crusades. Nobody expects. Oh, no, okay. Um, <laughs> so I feel like, okay, here's, here's, this is tangential, but I've been working really hard lately to come up with a decent way to get this plain text syntax to convert to word, to convert even to like open document. And I'm finding that while it's possible, and you did, you made a lot of headway in this area um, with some uh, XSLT, XSALT kind of uh, conversions, but the the formats like for Word, they're not structured in a way that you can convert an unstructured document to. So like you have a headline level three in Markdown, and that's fairly structured. You could convert that to XML. But to get that into Word and have it appear with whatever style is assigned to a third-level headline, there doesn't seem to be a way to do it. But, so, yeah, multi-markdown will do that to a flat open document format. Um, so the open document files, if you look in them, it's basically, you know, as you probably know this, but for anybody who doesn't, it's a zip file and inside are a bunch of little files. But they also have the flat format, which is basically one big XML file. Um, that's not zipped. And so when I created Multi-Markdown 3, I added this feature in, and then John McFarlane pulled that that part back into Peg Markdown, so it'll do it as well. Um, so you can create the open document file, which will keep some of that structure, so headings and things like that. And you can say, well, I want all my headings to be in Fuchsia, and you, know, you can do that as opposed to if you try Wait, to do a Word. Can you... you can you convert open document to word easily though? Cause the so, current version of word does not seem to import it. You, you probably were better off using open document to export to word. Uh-huh. Um, so, so it, to me, well, I, I could talk for hours about. Yeah. We word. could get really boring about this. Yeah. But open document to me is a lot better in a lot of ways. If you open an open document file on your Mac, and your Linux box and your Windows machine at the same time, it's going to look the same, um, which I've yet to see. And I could be wrong, but I've yet to see a version of Word that can do that. Well, and, and that's, on Linux. that's the major issue and impetus for all of this plain text that us nerds do is uh, like things like Word that are industry standard are uh, behemoths of uh, inconsistency, really. And yeah. And we kind of we fought against that and said, no, we want these very simple structured documents that can be output to multiple formats. And then we run into this thing where because Word is the industry standard, all of a sudden we need to put our documents back into Word instead of directly into output formats. And it's that's I think that is exactly the state of the nerd world as pertains to Markdown right now is where do we find the. We either need to put the features that make Word a requirement into a Markdown editor, or we need to make Markdown play nice with standard things like Word. Yeah, and I, th- I think part of it too is sort of a mindset. You know, I've I've never since I started working on Multi Markdown, you know, I've I've never tried to convince people that you know they need to stop using Word and start using this. It's sort of one of those. For right now, you either kind of get it or you don't. Exactly. Um, and and if if somebody's happy with Word and they like it and it's easy for them, great. Um, did you ever lo- did you ever have that argument before you decided not to have that argument? No, because I, I think I knew from the beginning that was going to be kind of a non-starter. You're a smarter, um, smarter man than I. I and plus, I realized it was I would have too much fun having that argument. Um, <laughs> so it was just it wasn't worth doing. But um, and and that's sort of what some of the things I've tried to add to Composer to sort of help with that a little bit. So one, it will 
it, it, you can export HTML, you can export open document, you know, right within the app, but you could do that with the free version of multi-markdown too. And those documents are pretty good. It won't handle math well um, yet. I haven't found a good solution to do that, but it'll handle tables and footnotes and graphs, um, graphics rather. And once you get it into open document, you can do a decent job of converting that into word. Um, I briefly started looking at what it would take to do kind of the op- the word XML format and decided that I didn't want to put the time into that right now. So the docx. Yeah. Yeah. But but there's no reason that you couldn't just like cuz that's what the flat open document is is just a big XML file and you you could do it. Um I'm just not sure it's worth the time yet, but maybe one day. Um and then but you can so you, you can do it. It's just it is a lot of steps. And for somebody who doesn't understand all this, it's sometimes easier just to say stick with Word. Yes. Um, but and then similarly, like with EPUB and actually somebody wrote me just the other day about EPUBs and Kindle and things like that. And you um, within Composer and but again, you can do it with the free stuff, just not quite as well. It will take your multi markdown format formatted document and export it as an EPUB, um, which makes that easier. So I, th- I think there's, and I know there's other, and Pandoc, again, from John McFarlane, will do a lot of that too. Um, Composer's approach to Word right now is basically just to use Apple's built-in code that will take an HTML document and convert it into a, uh, a Word document. It, it doesn't do that great of a job. No, no, not, not, nothing does. I've been banging my head for a year now. Um, wait, wait, you ready? Speaking yep. of Composer... Can you tell this is a segue? <laughs> Speaking of Composer, uh, you've been on the App Store for, what, a year now? Uh, about a year and a half, actually. Yeah. A year and a half. I was shocked to realize Mark had been out for two years recently, yeah. um, which means that, it, yeah, when I look at my total income on it, it's actually half of what I thought it was per year because a, a year got lost somewhere. But anyway... Um, how how have you felt about the decision to be on the App Store? And um, if you had it to do again, would you try to sell independently or would you definitely go with the App Store? I would probably stick with the App Store. Um, it's it's definitely got its problems. Um, I think the, the benefits that I've had from it are probably similar to what a lot of people have and sort of our reason for sticking with it is kind of the equivalent of foot traffic. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I, well, to take myself, I mean, when, before the app store, I didn't spend a lot of money on software. Um, (laughs) you know, I would buy a couple of things, but you know, mainly I would use freeware, you know, some stuff I would write myself. Um, and then there'd be a few programs that I would say, okay, is this worth, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 bucks or not. And, but since the app store, you know, I've definitely have, have bought a lot more and some of that's related to the pricing and we can have, you, know, you can have a whole discussion about is, is pricing just being driven down so low that at some point it's not worth developers time, but it's, you know, you can go in, it's like the equivalent of being able to go into a, a big, you know, a big box store and walk around and say, Oh, you know, that looks, looks good. I'll buy that. So I think I've seen I think that's from purely from the the commercial hat if I put that on for a moment it I think it's helped in sales in that sense. I think it helps having a place that you can go that you at least feel like your credit card information will be safe. Um I think a lot of people feel more comfortable purchasing through Apple that way. Yeah. And and having the reviews makes it a little bit easier though. Yeah. Again, there's the whole separate issue there. Many, um, many issues there. And I mean, I, I put big warnings up on mine saying, look, if you don't know what multi-markdown is, please check out the website first because I don't want you to buy it if it's not what you need. I had to put a separate clause in French at the top of mine uh, saying that Marked is not a text editor because I suddenly started getting all these one-star reviews specifically from France uh, because people were buying it thinking it was an editor. And then yeah. instead of just asking for a refund, they'd leave a one-star uh, rating on something that said in the first sentence of the description, the part above the more, this mm-hmm. is not an editor. So I had to put it in French as well. But the day I did that, I have not gotten a single one-star review from France since. 
Interesting. So internationalization is smart. I really should, you know, create uh, nibs for all the major countries, but yeah, I, my only fear with doing that is, am I then saying, Oh, and by the way, I'm going to support you in <laughs> language X. So it's like Google translate can get you pretty far, but it has limits. Yeah. It has some very serious limits. Yeah. And, and my German or French is not good enough to, to get me through that. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, definitely there. So I think that's probably the general, uh, the other upside, I think from the developer, as far as the app store is it's, it's easy. Um, assuming you get your app in and approved and, and all those issues that are separate, you know, they handle the server side, the downloads, the registration, all that stuff. So it's, I gotta say it's though, pretty low overhead between like, I, I don't, I haven't made this public yet, but I'm about to, um, for the next big version of marked, uh, for for multiple for myriad reasons, I'm I'm planning to leave the app store with it uh, and release it as a separate kind of channel. Um, mm-hmm. And as I, it was daunting at first because there are all these things that the app store just does for you, especially like international credit card and taxes and uh, payments and everything. But as I looked into like FastSpring and this new company called Paddle. Uh, it, it, it really, it's not as complex as I thought it was going to be, uh, all the registration and, and purchases, uh, credit card handling, everything, mm-hmm. um, like paddle actually has a drop-in kit that gives you an in-app store in literally like three minutes. It's pretty nice. Yeah. I, I, th- I think I haven't looked too much into them. I, I briefly sort of checked it out to see, well, what would it take? Um, and that was probably six months ago, maybe a little bit longer. And it looks like it was probably better than it was two years ago. Um, it is. But by the same token, that's not the reason. Like, the ease of sale is not the reason I'm leaving the App Store. The App Store is brilliant for that. Uh, it's it's more because of uh, restrictions that I just... It's not that I morally disagree with them. It's that if Mark is going to do what I want it to do, it can't function within those restrictions. Right. Um, that, and I really would like to, after the, I probably over a thousand hours I put into it, would like to charge for it and yeah. not give it away to, for free to the thousands of users that are already happy using Mark 1.4. Yeah, it's not, definitely... Not that I have anything against those people. I love those people. I love all of you. But... But this is worth money, and and I, there's no way for me to uh, morally get around the idea of giving away a thousand hours of work because someone spent three dollars in the past. Yeah, and and that was one. I what I liked about doing the open source stuff is it's free, so you don't have to worry about a price. If somebody didn't like it, they download it, they try it, they throw it away, they delete it, they didn't lose anything. When I first decided that I was going to make an app that I was going to sell. It, that was tough. You know, it's like, all right, well, how much do I charge for that? How much is, you know, how much do I think it's worth for somebody to spend? How much could I conceivably make? Is it worth it for my time? Is this something I would do on my own anyway? And I kind of just viewed it as a big experiment um, to sort of just see how it goes. But the same thing happened when, when I decided to create Composer 2 um, and and the way that came about was actually pretty quickly after Composer One, and um, but it, it was just it was literally a complete rewrite. It works completely differently and opened up a lot of things that I never would have been able to accomplish with Composer One. And so I had to decide, well, how do I do that? And there's no way to do an upgrade price in the App Store. Right. Um, so you know, I posted a couple of blogs about that to try to explain and give everybody some information about why I was doing what I was doing. And, and generally the response to that was pretty good. Um, I think, I think people understand and, and the same thing, you know, I'm, I'm willing, when I see something I like on the app store, I'm willing to pay some money for it because I know that took effort. Definitely. Speaking of paying for things, that's my segue (laughs) to the next sponsor. Was that good? There you go. Very slick. (laughs) Speaking of paying for things, um, I'll do, I'll do this, uh, Next read, and then we can jump into the top picks so that we can keep everyone's attention. 
because people people are um, uh, fickle, like me. Anyway, um, Shutterstock.com is our second sponsor, and there you'll find over 20 million stock photos, vectors, illustrations, and video clips. Start your search at Shutterstock.com to find that perfect image for your website, ad, publication, or any other creative project. Shutterstock.com gives you a global image collection to find images from around the world to suit your project. Choose between image packs and monthly subscription packages. You can choose whatever fits your need and never have to compromise. If you need just one image for your blog or mock-up, you can even do that. Every time you visit Shutterstock, you'll find something new because they add 10,000 new images every day. And it's more affordable than you think, too, with no extra charge for large files. You can download any image at any size and pay only one price. They don't nickel and dime you for high-resolution images. If you need them, you can just take them. Easily curate and share pictures via Lightboxes. You can choose your favorite pictures or videos and add them to your own Lightbox gallery as you search. You can also use their iPad app to do this. Then there's something called Enhanced License Access. If you like an image and you want to run it on print or swag for a trade show, etc., you can get an enhanced license for any of the images on Shutterstock. They also have a huge library of vectors, icons, infographic templates, and video clips if you need any of those. If you need help at Shutterstock.com, you get an account rep dedicated to you who will answer any questions, and they also have 24-hour support during the week. Sign up for a free browse account. Uh, Just go to Shutterstock.com, no credit card required. When you find the images you like and you decide to purchase, use the offer code DANSENTME6 and you'll get 30% off of any package. That was a good read. I'm really proud of myself. Pat on the back. Thank you. Very nice. Thank you. I can hear the throngs applauding me right now. I I hear it too. I hear that all day though in my head. (laughs) Um, Yeah. That's a egomaniacal uh, uh, little world inside my head. The the Brett Terpstra mad scientist world? Something like that. It's a total, like... uh, schizophrenic division from reality. Anyway, um, would you, do do you want to start the top picks? Do you have a top pick? I do have, I have a top pick and I have a three top picks. We'll, we'll, we'll consider them all equal, right? These are three equally top picks. That's right. So the first of the three, the first of the equally three. Um, so the first one is optimal layout, which is, I guess by most advantageous, software it's the website name anyway but it's uh, benedict lounge who wrote it and basically it's a window manager uh for the mac and with a few quick shortcuts lets you easily arrange your windows in in a variety of ways which i, I especially when i got a second screen i really needed um so you know i tend to have things divided either left half right half or four quadrants and it lets me line things up really quickly. So if I have a couple of documents open, I can see everything I need to. Um, it works well with multiple multiple screens in terms of flipping your windows from one to another. Um, it's It's been great. So I guess I've probably been using it for about eight months now, and it's it's been doing really well. This is, I believe, the fifth different uh, window management app that has been in the top three picks. Uh, last week, last week I believe it was Divi, and then mm-hmm. I brought up Moom as I always do. Um, but I've never used Optimal Layout. I, I've used everything else. I think it's I, it's probably it's probably like uh, kind of Markdown and all the the derivatives. Each each has its own strengths and things that maybe it's lacking. Yeah, but. I trust you implicitly though when it comes to uh, utilities, at least. Eh, probably my life. Yeah, I'd put my life in your hands. I actually don't use that many utilities. That's I, why I, I trust you. You're I you're tend discerning. To be pretty minimal. Yeah. You're discerning. Yeah. Um, what, What's uh, your top pick? Oh. Well, I'm curious about optimal layout. Does it have like uh, the flexibility of like like Divi and and Moom have a HUD that pops up and you can just drag a square on the screen? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so you can do that. Um, you know, you kind of do the option tab and you can draw and it's got the grid and you can decide how many grid lines do you want and all that. Um, and, but I use it all the time. In fact, the one thing it doesn't do and not to segue too much, but it, it doesn't 
because it's the way it's designed and the way windows work, it doesn't handle HUD windows. And so I know a lot of people don't like HUDs and this is not being able to do that is actually making me rethink the way that I've created some of my software. So we'll see. All right. Yeah. HUDs and panels are always an exception. Um, I forgot what I was going to say about it. So I'll move on before we get too boring with window management. Very cool though. I, I can't live without a window manager anymore. Um, and the other thing that I found that I missed from a window manager I used to use a long time ago was the ability to hold down a hotkey and move and resize a window with my trackpad so that I don't have to find a corner. I don't have to slow my mouse down. I can just hold down on my computer using better touch tool. Mm-hmm. I hold down function and control and whatever window is underneath my mouse moves. It's super fast, super easy. Huh. And if I add shift key to that, then it resizes from the bottom right corner. It's pretty cool. Anyway, better touch tool. That's always a topic. That's like my permanent topic. Um, All right. My first real top pick is going to be an app that I just found yesterday and fell in love with instantly. Uh, it's called Beam or Beam app on the App Store. It's for Mac and iOS. And it basically uh, it follows in the footsteps of a few before it, like my phone desktop, um, which is awesome, too. But it makes a very transparent way to get things like phone numbers, uh, addresses, uh, text clippings, uh, even songs from your Mac to your iPhone and back. So if I'm listening to a song in iTunes and I hit my Beam hotkey, it just automatically pauses iTunes, starts that song on iTunes on my phone and vice versa. I can do it in the other direction as well. Um, if I do, if I beam a phone number or anything recognized as a, uh, us or international phone number, it'll ask me if I want to dial it on my phone instantly. Um, maps, it'll load up, uh, the location in maps for you. And it, it just recognizes stuff. It checks the frontmost application. So if you're in a web browser and you hit it, it's going to automatically just assume that you want to send the current web page and it'll open that on your phone or your iPad. Um, but if you uh, have like something in your clipboard that is also recognizable, it'll alt for that or opt for that. It's pretty, I don't know, it's just, it's smart. It, mm-hmm. it it's, seems young in development. Like it could be uh, more powerful, but right now it's very elegant and good looking and completely free at the moment, which blows me away because it really shouldn't be. But they said uh, when I asked them that they were going to start charging uh, at some point which I highly recommend. Yeah, it looks looks interesting. Um, I was looking at the webpage while you're telling me about it and I'll have to check it out. Yeah, I, I seriously am really excited about this app right now just because it's so, it takes an existing idea and does it one better in my opinion. Hmm. Awesome. Okay. I always explain my stuff too well and it doesn't make, doesn't make for very good conversation. I over explain things. So you need to leave something out so I can say, well, what about this? Yeah. Yeah. My brain when I'm talking is always jumping ahead to what are they going to ask? And then I just make this like mess, like this soup of explanation to people Mm -hmm. trying to cover all the bases before they have a chance to ask. I really should just let people ask questions. Sometimes it's good. Let me ask you a question. Certainly. What's your second pick? My second pick is BitTorrent Sync. Um, So it's, kind of a service, not an app per se, though it is an app too. Uh, I'm assuming that most people have heard of BitTorrent as a way of uh, sharing files, you know, whether they're legal or illegal, uh, we'll leave that out of it, but it's a great way for, um, you know, for sharing content and anything that I need to download, like, you know, a a new Linux distribution, if there's a torrent for a, a file that that's, that's that big, I will try to do it that way. And so BitTorrent Sync uses that same technology to allow you to, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of basically similar to Dropbox in the sense of having a folder on multiple computers that, you know, you put stuff in and it shows up on your on the other devices. The difference is that you don't store anything in the cloud anywhere. So there's no server that has all of your files. Um, it, it works, it's purely peer-to-peer. So you control that, which is nice if you're concerned about the security aspect of it. Um, 
it's still relatively new, so there's no iOS version of it yet. So you can't um, get to your files from your iPhone if you don't, you know, don't have a laptop with you or something like that. But for syncing files from one machine to another, it's fantastic. Um, I've been using it for maybe a month or two, and it's worked great. It's fast. Um, it'll do it over your local network if your computers are there. But if you know if you're on two separate networks, if I'm you know at, at work, it'll it'll still work through the internet. And um, it's I've had great luck with it. So I think so. Do you? If if they ever come out with kind of a, an iOS API for it and uh, a way to make it work on iOS, would you see yourself or other developers uh, adopting it in the way that Dropbox has been? Yes. So I think what they in their on their forums they're talking about the iOS API and what they would do, um, and it would have to work differently um, because. You wouldn't want to, obviously on your iPhone, you probably would not want to sync all of a you know, 200 gigabyte folder. Um, so you'd need a way to choose files, which means that the other machine would have to be on at that time. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, so it's, it's definitely not going to replace you know, things like Dropbox um, with that ability to have the always on cloud. Um, but I think for if, you know, files that you're maybe a little bit more concerned about or you, you, know, you would prefer not to have stored on some server that you don't control, I think it's great. So I, I view it as an adjunct to Dropbox, not a replacement. Um, and, but the other nice thing is, I mean, size is, there's no size limits. It's whatever amount of space you have on your drive. So, but I, I would, if, when they come up with that, I would look at adding it into like an iOS version of Composer. Cool. Very cool. Um, yeah. My second pick. I had to make a PowerPoint presentation yesterday, so um, I actually had to install PowerPoint, and I don't really know my way around PowerPoint, and so I wanted to just do it in Keynote and then import it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, it's also massive, in my opinion. Um, a lot of relatively simple slides nested and it got complicated and what I really wanted to do was just write it in plain text and uh, ultimately have it show up in PowerPoint in the template that was required for this presentation. And um, after going through a ton of different options, uh, because like there are a few apps like Omni Outliner can export uh, power. I think it can export PowerPoint, but it can definitely export Keynote. Um, MindMeister, uh, Mind Manager, MindJet Mind Manager can export uh, PowerPoint, but it makes bizarre slides and nothing was quite working right for me. And then I remembered that I had bought this program on my iPhone a long time ago because it sounded so intriguing and then forgot I owned it. It's called Make Slides. And uh, I think you said when we were talking about it that it was from the same guy that makes uh uh, uh, I thoughts. I thoughts HD. Yeah. yeah. And oh, that would make sense because anyway, um, if no one's tried I thoughts and you like uh, any kind of brainstorming, definitely check that out. But to the point, uh, make slides can take Markdown uh, off your clipboard on your iPhone and drop it into a PowerPoint presentation that's based off of the headers. Like header one becomes a main title slide, header two becomes a uh, title slide and then a header three becomes like a subtitle within a title a header two and mm-hmm. any other text like bullet lists on the page become bullet points in the slide and it's a very basic like white template and you import it into or you open it in PowerPoint and hit a theme and presto so I'm actually designing this entire deck in Markdown and keeping a Markdown file that I that's where I edit and that's where I rearrange the slides and then I used PaceBot to just shoot it straight to um, my iPhone, tap a button, and send the PowerPoint file back to my PowerPoint file back to myself. And it's a little bit roundabout, but it's so much easier than trying to work in a, a huge program like PowerPoint that I don't know my way around very well. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Craig Scott, who did it, he's. He seems to be a great guy. Um, 
And actually, unless he changed it, he was using part of multi-markdown to do some of that inside the app. And uh, it, it looks, it's a great idea. Yes, it is. It's a, for, for those, for the small community who would actually uh, take a lot of interest in this, it is a brilliant product and it's two ninety nine and worth every penny. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I guess my last pick is uh, air video server. And so that's, it's, it's an app for, I use it on my Mac and then also on either my iPhone or my iPad. And basically it allows you to take video files on your computer and stream them to your iOS device. And it can do other things too, um, but that's what I use it for. And so you, know, you can have whatever videos you want on your, on your computer and then decide to pick up the, the iPad, start playing it, and watch them wherever, on the sofa, outside, um, you name it. And then the other nice thing about it is on the I, iOS side is it's compatible with the AirPlay. Um, and so as you're watching it, you decide you want to throw it up on your TV. If you have an Apple TV, you hit, you know, hit the, uh, the AirPlay button and the video that you're watching picks up right where you were on, you know, on the bigger screen. Um, so it really makes it very easy and flexible to watch, watch media wherever you want. And I've been very happy with that. I think if I remember the server version for your computer is free and I don't remember off the top of my head what the price I don't either. Store. I, I use that app daily and I don't remember what I paid for it, but it was worth it. Yeah. Uh, I, you forgot to mention ago. you forgot to mention on the fly conversion even of flash files. Yep. It's brilliant. Yeah. However, yeah. if you use the AirPlay, remember to turn it off when you're done. Because the next time you're sitting, you know, in the bathroom and you decide to finish a movie on your iPad, if when you hit play after having thought you disconnected, it will interrupt Grey's Anatomy on the main television Uh-oh. and upset the rest of the household. Yep. Uh, it depends on what movie you're watching. Maybe it's better than Grey's, which is not, not in my opinion, a hard task. But, um, but in general, most people that enjoy Grey's, in my experience, are very um, they're into the storyline and they don't like having it interrupted with cartoons. So I'm That's just saying. Words to live by. Yes. I, it, it's almost like I'm talking from personal experience, but I'm not. No, no. That, that kind of thing never happens to me. Purely hypothetical. Anyway. Um, yeah. Air video. Awesome. I'm trying to look up the price, but I'll, I'll have to come back to that. Oh, you know, it would help if I typed the name of the app instead of typing AirPlay absentmindedly. <sighs> Uh, now I'm so close that I'm going to wait until it comes up and I'm going to find out um, about Air Video. Where's the App Store button? Yeah, Air, I didn't have iTunes I, open, but uh, I found it. Like two ninety nine. We're on a two ninety nine roll today. There you go. All right. So my last one is currently free. I th- it was free, wasn't it? Gosh. Um, I almost swore right there. I caught myself halfway through, but it's called shortcut. And, uh, it, it recently updated to a version that I consider really surprisingly stable for what it does. And what it does is give you a hotkey, which you can configure, but by default, it's command shift space, which is pretty handy. And any window that's open on your desktop, like say it, not every window there, it has a few compatibility issues, but say you have system preferences open and you hit command shift space, you can just start typing the letters that are on any button you see and it will highlight that button. And then you can, you can do three things. You can click the button, you can move the mouse to hover that button, or you can double click the button. Um, you can also focus text fields with it. And I'm talking in Cocoa. This isn't like, it's like, um, Vim, uh, Vimari for Safari or uh, Vimium for Chrome, but it's for Cocoa Windows. And you can what? use you can maneuver around your entire computer and click all the buttons without touching your mouse. And that's not always the way I like to work, but sometimes it's really handy. That looks that's 
looks impressive. It's not yes. impressive. It's insane. You can, you can even use, um, like you can type dot button. If you just type a period, it highlights every, every control it can find within the current window. Um, mm-hmm. if you type like dot button, it will select all of just the, uh, elements of type button. What is it? It's, uh, AX role. It uses the AX role and you can type in specific roles and they warn in the readme that that feature is under development and mo- will most likely change in the future, but it's still pretty cool right now. Yeah. I'll definitely have to check that out. I'm going to guess that they're not going to be able to get that one into the app store. But <laughs> yeah. No, not likely. Not likely, but it's in beta right now and it's free. And if you like keyboards and you're a launch bar user or an Alfred user, you should check this out because it's, pretty amazing. I'll definitely have to have to do I that. I do not think this is something Apple's going to build into the system at any point in the future, but you can have it right now. Okay. That was super nerdy and which is my favorite kind of top picks. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Um and hopefully hopefully we have a couple people left listening for the last ad. Um, so for the hearty few, uh, this episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it easy to create your own website for a free trial and 10% off. Go to squarespace.com and use the offer code Pearl P E A R L Squarespace is constantly updating their platform with new features, new designs, and more support. They have beautiful designs for you to start with and tons of style options for you to adjust. So you can really create your own space online. Squarespace. Squarespace space um, that just felt redundant. And then I stuttered Squarespace takes care of hosting SEO and even make sure that your site automatically looks great on any device. It's incredibly easy to use, but if you want some help, Squarespace has an amazing support team that works 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it starts at just $8 a month. And it includes a domain name. If you sign up for a year, uh, you can try Squarespace for free, no credit card required. But if you purchase, make sure you get 10% off and uh, help support Systematic by using the offer code PEARL. Uh, so go check out Squarespace, everything you need to create an exceptional website. So when I say there are a few people left listening, it's not because I think you're boring or that this show is too nerdy. It's just that this show is too nerdy for the average person. I, on the other hand, am loving this. I just didn't want yeah, you to feel bad. I, I knew you were directing that, you know, right at me. <laughs> this is all your fault. <laughs> it's no, all my I, fault. I I said up front, this is going to get nerdy. So we probably lost most people right there. You gotta have you gotta have a, a variety. So you have the the nerd focused tech shows and you know ones that are less. And that's like the, that. Like I've tried, I've tried over the last forty seven episodes to allow some nerd. Uh, like talk, but try to focus more on personalities and, and kind of productivity, maybe a little bit into workflows. But um, this, I just, this week felt like with a guest like you, it, it was entirely justified to talk about Greg. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so you have kind of two presences in the world. You have uh, your Twitter handle at multi markdown is you and you also have uh, MMD software, which is kind of your commercial presence, uh, probably more support oriented. Yes. And then on app.net, you are Fletcher. Yep. Which is apropos. And your website for you personally is FletcherPenny.net. And that's Penny with P-E-N-N-E-Y. And you blog some cool stuff on there and... If I'm not mistaken, it still runs on your multi-markdown CMS. It does. Kind yeah. of a homebrew static website generator. Yep. That's pretty well, cool. Well, static with some uh with with some CGI stuff thrown in too. Sure. Sure. Um that's what I do. And then commercially, if you go to multimarkdown.com, you'll find multi-markdown composer. And I, I don't think you'll mind me saying this. If you own version two on the app store, there's a beta available uh, for paid customers that is uh, showing off some of the latest upcoming features that is really cool. 
Yeah, it's it, it, it's available now for anybody who wants to download it that way, and then it's been submitted to the App Store uh, pending the usual review and approval. But if you want it, you can get it now. Yeah, I recommend. Uh, if you like bleeding edge stuff, get it. Go. Yep. Okay. Should we wrap there? I think we're done. I think so. So I'm Brett Terpstra, and I'm TT Scoff just about everywhere. And I blog at brettterpstra.com. And this has been episode 47 of Systematic on 5x5. Thank you a ton for listening. And I will uh, be back in a week. Thank you. Thank you.